Welcome to King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. My name is Tara Wolf. I'm the Director of Community Engagement here at King of Glory. Pastor Harmon has given me the um, honor and pleasure of closing out our NOAA study, so I'll be here with you this week and next week. Um, we did not meet last week, and so we're not behind. I just feel, I was like, oh, where were we when we left off, and where are we starting from today? So I'm excited that we're back here for the third um, series, or a third video in the series of NOAA. Um, Thank you for being here and for coming out on this beautiful day. Um, Someone asked me, how's God blessing you today? And I said, he's blessing me with low humidity. This is a great day. I know tomorrow's not going to be that, but uh, today today that's the blessing. Um, Just so you know that the coffee that we have this morning, the regular coffee, is from Lutheran World Relief. That's why the little package is next to it. You can let us know what you think. Um, They made it after... President Diefenthaler was here this weekend, and uh, I think it's the garbage. I think it's the garbage people. So, yes. (laughs) Um, And so he uh, left us a sample. So if you like it, you can order it, or you can let us know if you like it. Uh, We're considering getting it for our morning coffee as well. Um, Before we open in prayer, just so you know, there were two handouts this morning uh, when you came in. The first one was... From Roger, there was a handout out there, correct, Roger, from you. Okay, never mind, you don't get that yet. There's only one handout for you. Um, I put some handouts on your tables. You did not ask the question about when the flood was. The evening class asked about when the flood was in relation to world history. Um, And I thought that the morning class might want to know something as well. So I photocopied think it's okay. Don't sell it or anything. It's only two pages from the Lutheran study Bible. It gives an idea of the biblical chronology and why they don't actually date when the flood was, um, because it was not, it was not during written history. And so if you're interested in it, great. You can have it. Um, if you're not, you can leave it and somebody can use it tonight as well. It's really just for your information about what is included in the Lutheran study Bible, since we don't use those here during Bible study. Um, so that's just for your information. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings, especially the blessing of your son Jesus and the work that he has done for us to to bring us back to you, Lord, to make a way uh, for us to be in relationship with you. Lord, we ask that during this time of study that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds, that we would understand more about your love for us, your love for humanity and um, and why that matters, God, why it matters that you have saved us, why it matters that we get to be in relationship with other Christians and those who are non-Christians, that we might show your love to them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, before we watch the video, just so you know, we are going to start in Genesis 7 today, uh, verse 16, which is where we ended. Um, that's where our Bible study will be, uh, but we will watch our video first, but you can get your, your Bibles queued up to Genesis 7, chapter 16. 
faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. sons set out to build the ark. Estimates run between 55 and 75 years for the work to be done. As we saw in that verse from Hebrews, Noah did all of it by faith, taking God at his word, convinced a flood was coming. But have you ever thought what Noah and his family anticipated? It says in that verse that they would face events as yet unseen. Noah was chosen. Uh, to build the ark. So he uh, obviously had his heart in the right place. He honored, he respected God. So during the time he was actually building the ark, it's hard for me to imagine that he wasn't telling everyone he could that there was trouble coming and they needed to be on board that boat. It must have been very difficult for Noah, given the fact that nobody else but Noah and his family are preserved in the flood. That means that nobody else listened. And he probably had to endure a lot of rejection, a lot of ridicule, and um, nobody listening to his message, basically, other than his own family. While they waited, they worked diligently. Plank by plank, the ark came closer to completion, adding its own silent witness to Noah's warnings that the dreaded flood was almost at hand. They gathered food for themselves and for all the animals that would be saved in that great ship. Then the final day came when the construction site just fell silent. And Noah and his family put away their tools. If they indeed hired workers outside the family, at this point, there was no hope for them. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Everything and everyone in that first world was on the verge of destruction. And no one knew it. As Jesus said, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. As the time drew near, as the clock counted down, the earth was being prepared to come apart at seams. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. All the fountains of the deep bursting forth. That sounds pretty ominous. But what are the fountains of the great deep? Up to 90% of what comes out of a volcanic eruption is water in the form of steam. And we see these uh, fountains on the ocean floor still today, hot water springs. These are remnants left over from what occurred during the flood. The fountains of the Great Deep rep represented where there were fractures that opened up in the, flood, in the uh, Earth's crust. The outer skin of the Earth cracked 
and water came bursting from inside so that you had these huge fountains, supersonic steam jets shooting up all around the globe. The water coming out, it was just been stupendous. It would have been absolutely terrifying for those who, witness, who witnessed the event. Have you ever stood by Old Faithful? That geyser just builds up pressure and then finally blows. Imagine the earth opening up with millions of Old Faithfuls. Add to that water gushing up from below, the torrential rains falling for 40 days and 40 nights. Where'd all that water come from? You've got to understand that inside the earth there's still a lot of water. The scientists have discovered in the earth's mantle, which is under the outer skin, water molecules can get locked into the crystalline structure of the minerals inside the mantle and they've estimated there's as much or more water still inside the earth than on the earth's surface. In the end, we may not know exactly how God brought forth all that water, but when he did, he unleashed the powerful forces of nature in the flood. The water swept away every single bird, animal, and human on the earth. The only survivors were huddled together, riding out the storm. And it must have been terrifying for those people who got on the ark, eight, and the animals, to ride out that, that event. But uh, it's quite clear from the language in Genesis that this was a unique, catastrophic event. In fact, the word for flood, the Hebrew word mabul, is only used of the Genesis flood. Nowhere else in the scriptures is an event like this described. It's a unique Hebrew word for this catastrophic event, Mabul, the flood. Outside the ark was pure terror and chaos. They saw the rain falling, the waters rising, the waves coming up, but there was nothing they could do except to try to run for higher ground and wonder, would any ground be high enough to escape these waters? The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated above the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Doesn't it sound like a, a battle between the dry land and the sea? The Bible simply says, the waters prevailed. That brings us to one of those details that make the flood account sound so mythical. How in the world could there have been enough water to cover Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on Earth? Well, estimates today suggest that if you smooth the Earth down completely flat, there's enough water to cover the surface of the Earth for a level of roughly two miles. So that's certainly not enough to cover Mount Everest, but at the same time, we would argue that Mount Everest wasn't there in the pre-flood world, that the pre-flood world topography was much more moderate, and that the very highest mountains that exist today were really as the result of the tectonic activity of the flood. Well, you've got to understand, Mount Everest wasn't there before the flood. That's a mistake that most people make. The Bible says all the high hills under the whole of heaven were covered and the mountains were covered. When you go to Mount Everest, you find fossils in sediment layers near the top. And so that means fossils produced during the flood. Mount Everest is a, is a product of the flood. The earth's forces that were at work, at play during the flood, caused the material to move around creating new mountain belts. The Appalachians are made up of fossil-bearing sedimentary layers that have been folded and contorted. So the present mountains are not the same as the mountains before the flood. Genesis 7:24 says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. 
it seems like the Bible's contradicting itself here. First it says the flood lasted only 40 days and nights. Here it says it lasted 150 days. Later it says it lasted more than a year. Are there three different accounts? Well, there were three phases. Essentially, there was the first 40 days and 40 nights of rain. And uh, the ark was lifted up and it floated and all life perished. And then the waters prevailed for another 110 days. On the 150th day, we read that the ark came to land on the mountains of Ararat. The mountains of Ararat. Not Mount Ararat, the mountains of Ararat. And then it was another, uh, it was another 70 odd days before the surrounding peaks were seen. That implies that it wasn't simply water subsiding, it was also earth movements. On the 150th day there must have been sufficient earth movements to push up some mountains that the ark landed on and it was perched there for, for another uh, two to three months while the water started to subside but also more earth movements made more mountains around it. And, and you can imagine how much water there must have been if it took so long for it not only to subside but to, to dry out. So the, just the fact that the whole process took a year indicates it had to be uh, of global proportions. Is it possible that any trace of that pre-flood human civilization survived the destruction? I mean, buildings, walls, streets, anything? That's a question we often get asked, but when you read the Genesis account, God said he was going to wipe man from the face of the earth. He was going to totally cleanse the earth because of man's sin. It was filled with violence. And so uh, we would expect, based on what God said he was going to do, and then what he described he's going to, he did, that we wouldn't find any remains whatsoever of any pre-flood civilization. He wanted to judge the world and make everything start from, from scratch again. A new beginning, a new world. The account continues in Genesis 8, verse 1. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. That's Genesis 8, 1 through 3a. Where'd all that water go? And following the flood, trenches like the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean with a huge amount of water on top of it, and the water underneath the surface of the earth having come up to the surface could well have caused the weight of the water to collapse the land to form that deep ocean trench which would have drawn waters off the continent into those huge holes which would have in turn have uplifted the mountain ranges that exist along the west coast of, of North America and South America and parts of Asia and Africa and the like. So that's part of the topographical changes that the flood very likely caused. In other words, uh, parts of the earth sank, parts of the earth rose, so the water retreated and went into the new ocean basin. So the waters of the flood are still on the earth today. In one sense, we could say that the earth is still recovering from the flood event. So there's Noah. He's built a massive ark. God has brought all animal kinds to him. He survived massive destruction, and now he and his family sit in the ark. The world they left doesn't exist. In our next session, we'll find out just how much it changed. Okay.
<laughs> so what do we think? Before we get into the scripture, what do we think? Any ideas, thoughts from... Okay, we already have some hands, Larry. John, over here first. The microphone is coming. No, this, I'm sorry, right here. Okay, so the only, I just want to say this once. Okay. The movie is falling into the trap of saying that anything God does has to be explained by science. It has to have an explanation. And what we're doing there is we're getting into the wrong argument, to the wrong way of thinking. And it doesn't mean you don't believe in science. But Jesus is not required to do things in a way that can be explained by science. But this is getting into, if I can't find an explanation for how the water did this or that, it's really starting with this hidden idea that, but Stephen Hawking wouldn't let him do it that way. Hmm. That science can tell Jesus what he has to do because it has more power than he does. Mm-hmm. And that's, you're falling into that. It's good to have plausibility. Mm-hmm. It helps some people with their faith. Mm-hmm. But we need to keep in mind in the end, I think, that in these great, let them do this if it makes them feel good. It doesn't have to have a scientific explanation. It doesn't have to leave a trace Mm -hmm. that can be explained by science. It can just be God is omnipotent, and he can do things that are completely just up there it is Mm -hmm. because I want it there. (laughs) And I love you, but I don't have to do it the way science says. And it's the initial trap. And then you try to explain, well, blah, 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 blah. Real science would say we didn't observe it. So it's not a scientific explanation either. It's speculation based on what's here. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Um, I don't know if they've talked about the comet that hit the Indian Ocean or not. There um, is a there not are, in this. All right, there is a crater in the in, bottom of the Indian Ocean. Okay. That marks the impact of a comet mm-hmm. that would have pushed enough water into the Earth's atmosphere. To do this, I've watched a, a PBS program where the person talking was not a blue, but they left and said, uh, it can make enough water to make it rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to do that, but I think we need to go with what Scripture says. But in the end, we have to have Jesus up here and science down here. Mm-hmm. And doesn't mean we don't, we don't believe science. But there are times that he can do things that science can't explain. It's a trap if you go yeah. into trying to over explain. Mm-hmm. So okay. I'll stop ranting. Okay. <laughs> thank you for your, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you. Okay. Up here. Any, and Linda next? No. Okay. I'm seeing hands. My impression was the same as yours. It's, it's trying to explain God mm-hmm. and it's as if creation was, the world was a sphere, a perfectly smooth sphere. Mm-hmm. And then these things happen to explain the present. I agree with you. I don't think God needs to be explained that way. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel somewhat as if there's an argument going on that we are not privy to. Like, I, I understand why they're giving their argument, but I feel like they're rebutting something that we have not, we as a group here have not said. And that's, right, and that's part of it. 
that we're watching a video series, right? We don't have the presenter live with us, and he may respond differently if we were. One of the things that's always amazed me about this is the, the skill and the technology that was employed in building a ship that big. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would be hard to do even today with modern tools and the knowledge that we have. Yeah. And Noah did it all by himself. Yeah. With his sons, of course. Yes, yes. And God's perfect plan. And it's interesting, in the other, I'm sorry if I've mentioned this before, but in the other stories of the flood, um, not from Christian or from Judaism, you know, that perspective, the boats were not the same it was not the same plan so their boats probably wouldn't have made it the length that noah's boat or ark made it as well um so it's interesting because there are other floods you know accounts and and other ark accounts but they were not to the same specifications uh and so i too am impressed at the scale of what noah undertook with his sons and anyone else In your study, Kara, what did you find out about the Nephilim? So, it puzzled me in terms of who are these creatures? Yes. And uh, their violation of the daughters of men. Yeah. So interesting, even though we, I don't know if Pastor Harmon covered that part, part or not, but I started back there. And it was interesting because in, in the study that I did, it was not 100% clear who they could have been. Some people think they were angels, <clears throat> but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Um, but that they could have been kings, uh, royalty, um, who for some reason this was a violation. We're not, no, I've not come across why it would be a violation um, unless it was an angel and the daughters of, of men. Um, but from what I've read, it wasn't, no one really believes that it was angels, but that was the, that was the opinion that I heard years ago that they, that they were supposed to be fallen angels that came down or something. How about in your study, pastor? Have you? It's remained a puzzle to me. Yeah, it is a puzzle because it doesn't seem like it would be a violation because if they, if it would be, if they were not human, Right? Then that would be a violation. I'm thinking of the other judgments of God mm -hmm. in Genesis, such as Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. It's another sexual sin. Yeah. And I forget, there's a third one, is there not? That isn't in my mind at the moment. Um, there's a lot of sexual sin in Genesis. <laughs> There's, yeah, a lot happens, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's it. That's it. Okay. Besides uh, <clears throat> the subject of science and the Bible, uh, non-believers often accuse us of having a blind faith. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's helped somewhat to lend credence to the Bible when science comes up with things that 
by golly, the problem is true. Mm. How did you know that? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just finding out today. So when the, the science tends to uh, support the Bible to a non-believer, uh, that, that gives them pause to think. Mm-hmm. Back over John, and then we'll get into 7 verse 16. Just a little bit of trivia that probably doesn't even apply to what we're talking about. (laughs) Anytime that we see a Hebrew word in the Bible with the I am ending, Mm -hmm. that always means, that makes that word a plural. Mm -hmm. When you talk about cherubim and seraphim and nephilim, so so it talks about many people Mm -hmm. or things, whatever. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. All right, so let's look. We're going to start in chapter 7, verse 16. That's where we left off. If you remember two weeks ago, it was kind of like the cliffhanger. (laughs) Um, The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. And I said it was kind of like that cliffhanger, like dum-dum-dum, you know, what happens next here. Um, so this is God. God has the final punctuation on what has been happening here. And it looks forward to what happens in a few sentences when God remembers Noah. So God is still in this. He's in this entire, uh, you know, account here. God puts the final punctuation on what's been happening by shutting him in with the animals and with his family. And we find out later that God remembers Noah. So note what the author does here, whether it's on purpose or it's just in the way it flows, God is tied both to shutting in and remembering Noah. So God has a bridge here. It gives the account a flow of who is doing what and when. If we look at the door as being shut from the outside, we also get a glimpse of, of a view of God as the protector of the ark and the vulnerable passengers as well. Um, I think that's actually kind of beautiful if you look at it the way that it's written. Um, you know, God has been present among all of this, and then he shuts them in, and he's, I, I don't know what this would look like, right? But, like, he's on the outside of that, and he shuts them in, and he's got everything He's got everything on the outside. He has them too in his care, but he's like, okay, you're in there. I'm out here. And now this is what's going to happen. Verse 17, for 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth and the waters increased. They lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all humankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. What do we hear here? Hear, hear. What jumps out at you in this short passage?
What jumps out on me is what is not said. And I recall a devotion given. What were the neighbors of uh, Noah saying as he was building his ark? Mm -hmm. Another pound of nails? <laughs> What's he doing? Mm -hmm. And we scoff at God's plan mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. when we see people doing particularly spiritually driven things. Yeah. Thank you. What else? Linda? I'm curious about the uh, measurement, 15 cubits. According to Google, 15 cubits is one and a half feet. Okay. So that's only 22 feet, 22 feet, 23 feet. That's not very deep. That you're right. That isn't very deep. So what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Wait, we have an answer back here. <laughs> no, no. Long, seventy-five feet wide and forty-five feet high. Okay. All right. We gotta. We have. We have a couple of <laughs> other opinions on that. Numbers aren't my thing, so we're gonna let a couple of other opinions go through here. Speaking as an ancient mariner. Yes. There are things not mentioned here. Uh, one of them is called the Three Sisters. Um, there are waves. There's wind. Okay. Okay. And it can really mess up a well-made ship. Mm. There is a phenomenon which was disbelieved until we started building super tankers that are like half a mile long mm -hmm. because they were so big they wouldn't fit in the hole. But you can have, just like you can have harmony in sounds where two sounds combine, you can get two patterns of waves that line up. So it's pretty rough and the waves are 45, 50, sometimes 60 feet high. Mm -hmm. But there are two sets of them coming from different places, and every now and then they line up, and there's a 60-foot wave and a 300-foot hole and a 60-foot wave on the other side, and you don't see it until you go over the crest of this wave and you come down, and the whole ship fits in the hole, and then poof, the wave comes over you. Sounds and they've had super tankers that have had their bow, the bow of the front of the ship, ripped off by falling into the hole. Hmm. Until this happened people would deny there's no such thing that didn't happen mm -hmm. but just ordinary waves ships going into hurricanes mm. so that's not mentioned but it's certainly an issue and i would say there were ships they the neighbors you know beat feet for the beach and get that boat they might have fought and killed each other to get mm. the boat but even if they got the boat 20 feet of water with very strong winds blowing on it can cause all sorts of problems. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the ark itself is, is somehow God's protecting it so it didn't get flipped over. Or mm -hmm. um, There's this 20 feet of water. You can A lot of people can die in 20 feet of water. You, these scary okay. collapses, whatever. So hmm. um, okay. just saying, having been there, yeah. I used to think about at night when I was on the ship sleeping below deck. And it's <laughs> I'm like, sure you did. Yeah. yeah. This could be dangerous. The Lord. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Pastor Beck, did you have, did you want to add to that? I'm thinking now at the, and there's a reference in the book of Job, that God has established the boundaries of the water. Mm. And so 
when we look, uh, go to the Atlantic and see the waves coming in and going out, but still the line of the ocean remains the same, hmm. we can also conclude that God is caring for us. Mm -hmm. I never thought of it like that, about the line, how we see the line stay the same, even though they're, yeah, the waves are going in and going out. Interesting. So, Linda, I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> it could be very dangerous either way. Um, no, yeah. It doesn't 100% answer our question about it, if people couldn't get to higher ground, though, right, and, and wait it out. But, um, but if we take into account then the waves and the rain and, yes. One interesting thing about God closing the ark. Yes. We go back to throughout the ancient world. Uh, dispatches and everything were put into some sort of an envelope and sealed with a wax seal. Mm -hmm. But we got to remember that's too full. It keeps anything foreign from getting in, mm -hmm. and it keeps that which is inside yeah, from getting, getting out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Good thinking. All right. Uh, after all the upheaval of the flood, rearrangement of the surface of the earth, all the water, it's absolutely God's control that on a subtle lot and a way that we can live. <laughs> it, it was catastrophic. Yeah. And yet the whole thing sorted out to this delicate balance that we have with the proper amount of air, proper amount of water, mm -hmm. and so forth. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to pick up where Pastor Beck kind of started off about what's not being said, right? We don't know anything that's happening inside the ark. We don't know what the chaos was. I can't remember if it was in the morning group or the evening group uh, when we were talking about inside and why they waited for seven days. And I remember somebody said, you know, when you get on a ship, somebody who was in the Navy, may have been in this group, you don't go out to sea right away, right? Uh, you get on the ship, you figure out where everything is, you get yourself kind of acclimated and oriented. Um, so we don't know what's happening inside the ark, but we do know that God gave them a week inside the ark before it started raining and before the water started coming, which is really a point of grace, right? That he, he allowed them that time to get ready for that because we don't know what's happening in, inside the ark right now. But we do know that there were a lot of animals, <laughs> there were people on there, and so probably it was a little bumpy, you know, it was a little bumpy, but we focus now completely on what's going on outside the ark. Also take note of some of these parallels. Um, in my study, one commentator put it like this, inside the ark parallels inside the garden, outside the ark parallels outside the garden. Inside there is salvation, outside there is not. Inside, there is immunity from disaster. Outside, there is inevitable death. The ark is spared, and the earth is doomed. I personally love how Scripture repeats these stories over and over again, um, whether we see them naturally or not. So the parallels are fun to observe, and they also serve a function of reminding us of the previous accounts which we learned, and remembering that 
before, uh, before there was written history, this was all oral history. And so you kind of hear those same echoes, right, from the beginning of creation to what's happening in here. Unlike the other accounts of the Great Flood from other traditions, Noah has no navigational equipment. Now, just imagine that for a second. <laughs> There's no navigational equipment um, unless it's his wife, his sons, or his daughters-in-law, right? Probably not likely. They were not seafaring people. The only aids that he has are the birds who act as homing pigeons and a ceiling window, so navigation by the stars. Noah has done everything according to what God has told him to do, obeying down to the last dot. That also emphasizes who's in charge here, right? Who's in charge of this? God, right? God is in charge of everything that's happening outside. And while Noah can use the birds as homing pigeons and he can see through the, you know, hatch above and to navigate by the stars, he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any uh, say in where he's going. He doesn't have any navigational equipment to make sure that he goes one way or not. They are completely adrift and God is protecting them. There's no place in here that it says that people drowned, Right? You don't see that people drowned. It just says they died, but we can infer that they drowned. One commentator suggests that the phrasing, they died, instead of they drowned, reinforces the idea that this is by divine penalty and not because of natural catastrophe. John. Sorry, please. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure there were people who did, especially when you talked about going for, they, somebody somewhere had boats, right? Like they, it, Noah was not the only person who ever had a boat, right? And so I think it's interesting thinking about, I mean, if you watch any of the apocalyptic shows now, right, uh, people will do anything uh, to get um, what can what can save them. And so, yeah, I would agree that there, you know, it doesn't say that, but we would assume that if people were acting violent, they would not necessarily stop acting violent, right, um, there. In the earlier passage about the preservation of life, we're told first about the salvation of human beings and then of the animals. In this passage about death, we are told about the animals' loss of life and then human loss. Something interesting, kind of a little factoid, like John's, was note that the Hebrew of verse 21, so look back at verse 21, every living thing that moved on land perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all humankind. Notice all that, those words that are used to describe the animals. Um, it takes eight words in Hebrew to describe the animal's death and only two words for humanity's death. Isn't that interesting? It's just, and done. <laughs> I just found that to be interesting. I don't know exactly uh, if it's meaningful to you or not, but that there's this huge, long, you know, description of all the animals, and then all of a sudden humanity's done. Continuing on verse 23. Verse 23 summarizes it, verses 21 and 22, and reinforces the repetition that intensifies the contrasting statements that all flesh died and only Noah was left. If you're in the ESV, you'll see that all flesh died and only Noah was left. The way that it's written in Hebrew suggests that both are the fate of Yahweh's actions. 
Noah couldn't do anything to save himself. He didn't survive the catastrophe by anything that he did. I think that's important for us to realize here, right? Because oftentimes we look at Noah, rightfully so, he obeyed God, um, but nothing that he did actually brought about his own salvation. He didn't survive this because of anything he did. I fast forwarded to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This may be familiar to you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I see the parallel here, hopefully you do too as well, right? That just like Noah couldn't do anything to save himself, we could do nothing to save ourselves. We are completely 100% dependent on Jesus and his work. And yet, we do have good works that we're prepared to do. So did Noah, right? He had a job to do. He had to, he had to build this ark so that he could fulfill that plan that God gave him to do. Any thoughts about that before we go on? Any thoughts about Noah and our parallel? John? It talks about everything creeping on the land was uh, destroyed. Yeah. It doesn't mention fishes and sea creatures, so uh, yeah. maybe they have a special place in God's <laughs> Special <pantheon>. dispensation? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, interesting, right? It kind of actually answers the question for us, I think, that God didn't include that in here, right? Because I, I could see later, going back to our science and faith debate here, I could see later being like, well, of course they survived. Why did God say that they didn't survive? It just says he doesn't even mention the animals in the water, right? Yes. If these geysers came up from the earth, that would have been hot water. That would have been boiling water. So the fish would have died from that, if nothing else. And I all... I couldn't help but think the pitch and the tar on the boat, if it was really coming from the the geysers, that would have started to run. It'd be gross, yes. <laughs> Pastor, back up here. Sorry, just my own little personal <laughs> That would be kind of gross. <laughs> People here know more about biology than I do, but can freshwater fish survive in salt water? No. Or the opposite, too? Mm, I think... I know there have been dolphins, like, in brackish water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's dolphin stuff. Fish, unless they're anadromous, don't go there. <laughs> Their biology is different. And freshwater fish um, absorb salt from the water around them. Saltwater uh-huh. fish push the salt out of their bodies. Interesting. So if you put them in fresh water, they lose all their salt in the uh-huh. depth. The freshwater fish in the salt water absorb too much salt and they, and die. they die. Unless mm-hmm. they're like the, use the Yankee term, striped bass or salmon that migrate up the rivers. Somehow they have the ability to do both. Hmm. Interesting. But, um, yeah, I do. Now, this is a biologist, this is an angler fishing the hook. <laughs> Anyone else? That's fascinating. I didn't know that, that they pushed the water out and the other ones had sort fascinating. You know, we forget that God is in control. 
and so we have a balance of things. Mm. Yes, we had steamy hot water coming from uh, under the earth, mm -hmm. but like you, when you adjust the shower, you <laughs> take the rain to cool off. The right. Water. Yeah. Well, and also, it doesn't necessarily uh, talk about, right, God did not, it, it would also seem that God did not have a plan then for the animals in the water, which we know would not be true. Pastor Freilich? Oh, Tell us about how God loves us. <laughs> so I was kind of stretching, but... Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so how was Noah saved? Not by the ark. Right. By God. By God's grace. It's a prelude to what's ahead. Yes. We're not going to answer all these questions. No. They're not the questions. Right. This is all about, you, you, could, make it a, you could make an argument, well, let me do this, you could make an argument. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> that, that the ark is like a sanctuary. Yes. Hey, you could make the argument that one of the things in the sanctuary baptism yes and the water the power of that we can do all these things we don't know yeah but we do know that he was saved right by the grace of god right not by his own works Thank right you. I, I guess that makes us <laughs> yes I just have to make one statement the mind has limitations <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're the only one. I don't think you're the only one. And that's where I think if we look into the New Testament, you know, is Ephesians specifically talking about Noah here? But no, but look what God has done in saving Noah, not by his own works, in preparing in, in advance for him works to do. Uh, look what God has done for us by preparing us for good works, right? Um, and also by saving us not by our own works, so that none of us can boast. You don't see Noah actually boasting here, do you? No. He's just doing what he's supposed to do, what God has put in front of him to do, and he does it, and he is saved by God's grace. Again, with God being on the outside and shutting them in. Let's continue here so that we can get through these last couple of verses. Um, okay. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Everyone is saved because of someone else in this story. Noah is saved because of God, right? Noah's family is saved because of Noah. Everyone owes preservation their preservation to someone else. This is a reoccurring theme in scripture, most notably in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Both accounts are about non-Israelites. Both are complete destruction by natural cataclysmic nat nature. Both have disgraceful outcomes, which involve drunkenness and breach of sexual mores. We get to, we will probably just touch on that with Noah at the end of next week. Um, both imply repopulation by a single hero. Um, the issue of righteousness is central to both. Both Noah and Lot found favor in the eyes of God or, or his representative, and both have an indicate. Both indicate an impending divine action. So, for example, in 6.13, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And then with Lot in 19.13, Because we are going to destroy this place, the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So notice that we have this reoccurring 
theme in scripture that we see that there's something terrible going on and that there's some sort of cataclysmic event um, and that God is, God is involved in all of this. I would like to get, let's just read through verses 8, 1 through 5 and then we'll end there. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Noah's been on this ark for a while, right? (laughs) He's been on, he's been saved, but he's been on this ark for a while. Um, I wanted to get through this, these verses, because it goes to the, God remembered Noah, right? So God shut Noah in. We don't hear anything about Noah until until here, right? Everything's happening on the outside. God is on the outside. God is taking care of the people in the ark. Um, But God remembered Noah, which indicates to us that this is, again, not just a happenstance type of thing that's happening, right? This is not just something that happened and Noah built an ark and he lucked out and he got in this ark. But no, but God actually remembered Noah. He didn't forget him and then, oh, I remembered him, right? It's a sign of God is actively engaged in what's happening in Noah's life here. And notice what we have here. Again, we keep going back to creation, don't we? He sent a wind over the earth. What is hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation? The wind, the spirit, right? So just like we have in the very beginning, we have here The spirit, the wind is hovering over the earth and the waters are receding. What happens in creation? Water is separated, right? Water goes up, water goes down, and the spirit is there. We see here that God has not forgotten Noah. God is 100% involved in this and and that Noah is special to God. We are special to God. Noah has not been forgotten by God. We have not been forgotten by God either. And again, as Pastor Freilich pointed out, we can look at the ark, right? Going back to the parallels, inside the ark, there's salvation, right? Inside the garden, there's salvation. If you look, not really in our sanctuary, but if you look in a sanctuary that has like wooden beams on the inside, um, it's like a ship, right? It's like an, you're inside an upside down ship um, that's done on purpose, to remind you of the ark and to remind you of the place of being a place of sanctuary. Um, does anybody, has anybody ever gone, has everyone seen a church like that, a sanctuary like that? Okay, yes. Gloria Day, yeah, okay. Yeah, go down to Gloria Day just to visit, to see their sanctuary, right? And you can kind of see that. It's pretty neat. Any other thoughts before we end today on this? Pastor. If we take a look at Hebrews, the emphasis is not on grace, it's on faith. Mm. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world 
and became heirs of righteousness that comes by faith. Three times faith yes. is used. It is. Yes. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Thanks, Larry. Anybody else? Okay. Don't... We've stretched the limits of the mind, I think, right? We are, we are at the end of our, of our limits here. Um, bef- yes, yeah. Well, and our, our minds only go a certain amount. We do not have the mind of God, but let us be thankful for that too, shall we? Um, we don't need the mind of God. That is not something that is for us necessarily. Roger is passing out um, some study questions. If you want to take those home with you, you can. Uh, next week is our final week. We are going, we're going to get to the end of this account. Um, so come ready. <laughs> uh, the video next week is slightly shorter, so we'll have a little bit more time in scripture. Uh, but they will wrap some things up for us in the video. Uh, and also in June, we are not having morning and well, next month. So next week is the end of May. Then in June, we don't have Bible study on Wednesdays. Uh, we do have Bible study on Sundays. If you'd like to come to that, we are kicking off our prayer series at nine 30 in room 311. And on June 19th, we're going to have a book club, uh, book club study. So we'll do three book clubs throughout the year. One will be on June 19th. The book that we're going to be doing is uh, Joining Jesus on His Mission by Greg Finke. We did it probably about four or five years ago. Uh, So if you already have your book, you can read that one. I have them outside of here that you can buy them here if you would like, or you can rent it somewhere. You can get it on your Kindle. Um, But get that book, read it, and then we'll have a book club discussion on Uh, June 19th at 10 a.m. and 6.15 p.m. The next book club discussion will be in August. uh, The book is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. um, And that will be at the end of August. And then in July, we are going to be continuing our series on prayer. And so each week at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Facebook, there will be no 6.15 p.m. study over the summer. The only time there's 6.15 p.m. is when it's a book club. So um, 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Facebook, 10 a.m. isn't here, uh, we'll be examining different prayers uh, throughout Scripture. So we invite you to that as well. The last week, this will all come out to you. Don't worry. You don't have to remember this. Just to give you a little preview. The last week of July is our VBS week, so we don't traditionally have Bible study that week. But we are giving you a prayer walk guide to do in your neighborhood. Um, Your neighborhood can be Newtown, especially if you live in Newtown. Your neighborhood could be your actual neighborhood. It could be any any place that you frequent. Um, We're going to provide to you a neighborhood uh, prayer walk guide that we would like you to do, even if you aren't able to actually physically get out of your house on that day. Please do engage in that because we won't have Bible study that day. Okay. Like I said, I'll have all that for you. The first one is joining Jesus on his mission. The second one is daring greatly. If you have Kindle Unlimited, you can get it for free. Even better. So, (laughs) yes. If you don't, you can buy a hard copy here or you can get it on your Kindle. I think probably for a little cheaper than the hard copy book. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this example of Noah um, and his faith, Lord, and the grace that you showed to him and his family and to to us, Lord. Um, The grace that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend. 
Lord, we ask that you would empower us to um, walk by faith, to trust in you through the power of your Holy Spirit, and to share the good news that we have um, eternal life in you, Lord, with all that we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.